Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. I don't know whether Bart Simpson caused it or whether Bart Simpson is a reflection of our culture, but he wouldn't last five minutes at my house, and he probably wouldn't at your house either. There is, um, as we've been looking at this this study of family matters, there, uh, there is little and much at the same time said in scripture about children, of which we all are. I mean, the title of tonight's message is Everybody's Somebody's Child, which this message applies to every one of us because we're all somebody's child. The scripture is, in, in oftentimes, especially as it pertains to, 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 to scriptural and biblical principles, oftentimes silent on children. It treats us as adults. It treats us as those who are mature, those who should know. And it's also sometimes very explicit about what it says about children. The, Don't prevent them from coming to me, Jesus said. These are the kingdom of heaven. Um, and here, as we, as we kind of close out this look at family matters, we see the responsibilities of children, both young and old. And we're going to look tonight at these, these principles of, of obedience and honor. Uh, and our, our base text here is in Ephesians 6, uh, verses 1 through 3. Let's read that together, and then we'll uh, glean together some things from his word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, this was extremely liberating scripture at the time, and here's why. I want to paint to you a couple of, a couple of extremes of, of cultures. One is the culture that this was written in, in this day and time. Roman children were seen, and I've shared this with you a little bit before earlier, Roman children were seen as property. They were seen as commodities, in fact. Um, there, were, there were four or five... Um, familial type of relationships that, that parents had with their kids and things that, that the father uh, could do, especially on his own. Uh, in fact, there's a, there's a term uh, called patria postestas, which means father's ultimate power. And that was a term used in that day to say that the father was the, was the master, was the Lord, was the ruler of his home, and he could do whatever he wanted to with his kids. And so some of them were just cast out because the father didn't want them. In fact, one of the, one of the Norms, too, was after a child was born, either from birth, somewhere in the, in the, in the birth to six-month time range, that child would be either brought by his mother or by a servant or a maid or whoever, brought and set at the feet of the father. And if the father picked the child up, the child was accepted. If the father ignored the child and walked away, it was often given away or thrown away. In fact, um, one of the practices as well was to take the children down to the Roman Forum where they were auctioned off either as slaves or prostitutes. And this was done, believe it or not, from toddler age children up through about 12 or 13 years old. Now, when a child got to be 14 or 15 years old, they suddenly had cultural value because they could work. And they had cultural value because they could, they could serve and they could do other, other domestic kind of things around the house. But between those ages, between the toddler and 12, 13, 14 years of, of age, you were property and you could be discarded just that quick. And... The, even worse for, for children who were born with deformities or born with mental dif, uh, uh, difficulties, 
Most of those kids were drowned in that day and age in Roman culture. That's kind of a stark look on the one hand of, boy, he's he's writing to to say how children, even to address children here in these times was something very, very, uh, uh, very stark in contrast to where the culture is because children just weren't addressed. They weren't seen as as those having value. Um, So not only was Jesus very revelating in his uh, accepting children to come around him and be allowed to, to touch him and hold, hold, you know, embrace him and so forth. Uh, just the very reference to children in Scripture was something that was extremely uh, new and, and foreign to, to this culture. Now contrast that to where we are today, where in many homes, and probably in fact most homes have, have and I've shared this with you in this week's e-news, I think over the past 30 to 35 years is when we've seen the bulk of this transition, where We've gone from parent-centered cultures in homes to child-centered cultures in homes. And oftentimes now the, the child's desires, the child's goals, the child's dreams, the child's ambitions, the child's desires, his, 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 his or her wants or, or ambitions are seen as of paramount importance in the family. And everything else is subjective to that oftentimes. Um, Going from this Roman culture where children were property to the culture we have now where children are elevated to such a state in our homes that, um, you know why the divorce rate is exceedingly high among empty nesters? And it's, and it's skyrocketing among, among empty nesters, among folks who have just seen the, the, the last child had, had out of the house. It's skyrocketing. In fact, it's jumped in the last 15 years in that age group from usually somebody in their late 40s to mid-50s. In that age group, it's jumped from about 25% to 65% in the last 15 years. You know why? I'll tell you I believe why. I believe it's because we're in child-centered homes. We're in a child-centered culture. And when, the, when the, the object of my affection, the object of my dreams, my ambitions, my goals, everything's wrapped up in it, when it is gone, what do we have left? And that's a, that's a real danger, I think, of, of where our culture has headed and, and is heading. Now, Here's the, here's the truth. Neither of those two are in God's plan. Taking kids out to the Roman Forum and having them auctioned off as prostitutes or drowning them, that, that wasn't in God's plan. We see that clearly here in his word. And I think where we've grown as a culture certainly isn't in God's plan either. So where do we strike? Where's that, where's that balance that we strike? It's here in Ephesians in the, in the, in the passages we're going to look at also tonight um, in Romans and, and uh, in, in Proverbs. But it's here where we find these principles of obedience and honor come into play. Now, I want to break these down a little bit and see kind of what this looks like. Turn, if you will, to, to Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, if not, then uh, these words will be on the screen. The first thing I want you to see here from obedience is that it should be immediate. Obedience should be immediate. We're looking at these principles in light of other scripture just around the idea of obedience and around the idea of honor, not so much as it relates to children, but it, it also relates to children because obedience to God is obedience, whether it's in the home, whether it's by a child, or whether it's by an adult. Look at verse 8 of chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Obeyed and went. There was an immediate response by Abraham when God called. His response was immediate, unquestioned obedience. And oftentimes, our, most of us, when we hear the call of God on our life, first of all, we're confused. We're not sure it is the call of God. But when, we, when, we're, 
nailed down to the fact that, yes, that, maybe that was God. Maybe that was really the Holy Spirit. Maybe this verse did really jump off the page to me, for me. Maybe that was really what that was about, this passage. And so this is the call of God. I need to move. And most of our response is, <clears throat> when I learn more, when I get more, when I'm deeper, when I understand things in a broader sense, I'm going to move on it. Because that's really, that's really probably a, a place of blessing for me, to be obedient to God. If I, if I walk in that place, he's going to bless my efforts. But I need to know more. I need to get more about this call. I need to understand the call. I need to have it confirmed 12 times by 12 different people. I need to, I need to pick up six or seven books and read about it and make sure that this is the real deal. Real deal. It was indeed God, God's voice. I need to have it confirmed by so many, so many avenues that once it's confirmed and once, we've, once I've exhausted all these resources to say, was this God's will or was it not? Was this call or was it not? Now it's lost its luster. And now it becomes to me, I'm going to get to that one of these days. I'm going to follow God's call one of these days. I'm going to be obedient to that one of these days because I really believe that's what God wants me to do. But it's lost its sense of immediacy because we, listening to the enemy, tend to put it off and say, I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not ready enough. And, and Abraham could have said all of those things. When God, he was, he was, he was a man of, of great means and God wanted to take all of his means and pick it, pick it up and pack it up and move to some other place. And his response, I think as ours is supposed to be, is, is one of obedience. And we touched on this a little bit last week when we talked about discipline. What this looks like with a young child in your home is first request, obedience. As parents, we shouldn't tolerate anything less than that because why? God expects that of us as his children. When I tell you something the first time, get it and move on it and act on it. Don't wait for it to be confirmed by everybody. Move on it. When, I, when you know it's my voice, when you see it from my word, act on it. Move on it. First request. It is, uh, you know, as I shared with you last week, one of the things that flies all over me worse than anything in the world is these, you know, little toddlers with the kids just learning to talk, looking up at, at parents or grandparents. No. And grandparents think that's cute. They start laughing at it. And yet you're, they're sent home with the parents and the parents are having to deal with the no at home. And that, that defiance, that, that, you know, come here, go, you know, don't do that, stop. And that no is basically saying, I'm more important than you. Obedience should be the other way around. You should be obeying my wishes, not the other way around. So first of course, obedience is what God is speaking to. And I think that's what we, it, it needs to be immediate in our homes. And it needs to be immediate not only in our homes, but in our hearts. Secondly, though, is obedience should be complete. Uh, turn to Romans chapter 6. Uh, and let's look together at verse, well, a couple of verses here. But first, uh, first at verse 16 of Romans 6. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, this idea of tying obedience, symbolically at least, to slavery, speaks to one thing specifically, and it is completeness. In essence, my obedience needs to be all in. Not, there shouldn't be conditions on it. There shouldn't be... if. If it fits within my criteria, if it's comfortable to me, if, I, if it's in my comfort zone, if it's within my skill set, if I have the ability to pull this off on my own, I'll obey. Well, that requires nothing of God and everything of you. So our, our obedience needs to be complete in the sense that, that we are we're all in. There are, there are not conditions to our obedience. We need to expect that of kids in our home, whether they're your kids or your grandkids. You need to expect, expect complete obedience. Not going to a certain point and stopping and, you know, cleaning up your room is not just making your bed. Cleaning up your room is making your bed, it's picking the floor, stuff up out of the floor, putting it in the hamper, putting it where it goes, putting stuff up on the shelf where it goes, 
occasionally getting out of vacuum cleaner and vacuuming for a change, or, or, or heaven forbid, you know, uh, getting out a mop in a, in a bucket or, and, and actually mopping or cleaning, getting some, some dirt off the floor. It's, it's, though, the parent's job to ensure this kind of follow-through. It's, it's the parent's job to ensure this kind of responsibility. We talked about last, a little bit about this last week where your goal as a child was small was obedience. As they moved to, to pre-teens in that pre-adolescent stage, your goal moved from obedience to responsibility. And then from the, from the pre-teen stage and that adolescent stage to the, to the older teen and almost young adult stage, it became choice. And your goal is to teach them to make wise choices. Well, th- this obedience should have that kind of cycle as well. Your obedience, as, especially as, as a child has learned it, first time obedience needs to be first request. It needs to be complete. There needs to be follow-through. And it's your responsibility as a parent to make sure that happens. Why? Because God's going to hold you accountable for how you raise your children. Just as he's going to hold us accountable for how we act in front of him. We're going to stand before him irresponsible as parents and irresponsible as believers because we've not obeyed completely. Or we're going to stand before him responsible because we've followed through with what he's told us to do. Real simple concept, but it's hard for sometimes to, uh, to grasp. But it's our job as parents to hold accountability, to, uh, hold obedience to accountability. It's, it's the child's job to earn trust. And so as you see this progression going from early childhood, you know, and once obedience is a taught and learned concept and they get it, they, there are consequences to, to not responding to first request. There's consequences to not doing what my parents asked me to do, and I don't like the consequences. So I learned this principle of obedience. And then when it steps into those preteen years of responsibility, you don't leave obedience behind. You're just adding responsibility to it. And then when you go in from the preteen to the, to the, the matter of choice as a person gets to be late teens, early 20s, and, or, or, or young adults living in your home, you don't leave obedience and responsibility behind. They build on each other. You don't compromise one for the other. It needs to be complete. Third thing is it should be with a good attitude. Look at verse 17 of Romans 6. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey, watch this, from your heart, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have come to obey from your heart, the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You're doing so, in essence, he says, not because you have to. You know, we looked last week at, at this idea of discipline from Hebrews 11. And he said in there in that, in that passage that discipline for the moment seems to be sorrowful. It, needs, it seems to be painful. No, nobody longs for discipline. But those who have been trained by it, he says, it yields righteousness and peace. So it's a process of learning. It's not instantaneous. Everybody don't child, a kid don't get obedience. You know why? Because they're born with their self on the throne. They're born with their desire for their own nature to be, their own, their own needs to be met and their own nature to be fed. Uh, you don't have to teach a child to, to please themselves, to reach for the bowl of chocolate on the table. Or reach. They're going to want that themselves. They're, they're, they're born, all of us are born with a nature to please ourselves. And so it's learned behavior. So that's why this, this attitude is so important. It's, it's not that I'm obeying you just because I have to. When I get out of your presence, when I get out of your home, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You're going to see. It's, it's the attitude with which we obey. And so when obedience becomes responsibility in this preteen, part of responsibility is attitudinal. And when responsibility grows into making wise choices, part of making a wise choice is my attitude toward the one who's Revealing to me here the consequences of this choice and this choice. It's the teacher, the molder, the shaper, the modeler, the mentor, the parent, the boss, God. It's the one who's, who's, who's showing those things to me, that person in authority, showing those things to me 
um, that I that I need to have a good attitude toward. In fact, he says back in back in Ephesians six one that we looked at a minute ago. These are unto the Lord. Uh, obedience is and honor. Both of these concepts are unto the Lord. In essence, that God is in the place of of or my parent is in the place of God here. And my obedience, they demand my obedience. Here's why that's so important. It's because their obedience to you and their responsibility to you and, and the choices that you've helped them make, that needs to transfer from you to your Lord at some point. And so your goal in raising kids is not just to, so that they'll survive. And your goal in raising kids is not so that they'll be smart and wealthy and, and, and independent and, and, and you know, brazen and, and bold and taking the world by storm. Nothing wrong with any of those things on their surface. But they need to be the outgrowth of their desire to serve and love and honor God. And so the transfer that you have from obedience to you, to him, and responsibility from you to him, and wise choice from you, to, that transfer is vitally important. And they'll never get it from him if they don't get it from you first. So that idea of it being immediate and complete and with a good attitude is, is extremely important. And we as parents shouldn't tolerate that from little children. Why? Because God told us, here's the way this should work. And if you put these principles in place, it will work. And so as we, as we come, come around this idea of obedience, it's, um, I'm telling you, in a child-centered culture, is a foreign concept. Um, however, it's, it's one that God honors and that he blesses and will work. Um, and many of you have seen it in your own home. I've seen it in mine. There is, um, there is much to be said for that. Let's move on to honor. Um, honor, and we're going to talk about these four things that it looks like. Honor initially looks like respect. Honor looks like respect. And here's why. The word parent <clears throat> comes from a Latin phrase which literally means in place of God. So when you see the term parent in scripture, or, or anywhere for that matter, it comes from a Latin phrase which literally means in place of God. That's what I was talking about earlier, that your transfer of obedience, your transfer of accountability and responsibility and choice and all these things you're trying to sow into your kids, your transfer from you to him is a vital transfer. Why? Because you're in place of that right now. He designed them to serve him. So in between them serving and knowing him, there you are as a parent in the middle of, the, of that relationship. And so it's your job and my job as parents, grandparents, if you're not a parent, um, to stand in the, in, in the gap of that place, meaning that I'm in the place of authority until they see God's and understand and respond to his authority. Um, he's given you that responsibility. And life, life really legitimately does go better when we, when we do that. Proverbs um, 23rd chapter speaks to this. Uh, look at verse 24 of, of Proverbs 23. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. He who has a wise son delights in him. Um, it is, a, it is a, um, a great teaching tool for you to see how this, kind, this, this, this honor begins and starts with respect. And we're gonna, as we lay out these things that, that honor looks like, we're going to start with, with younger ages and move up in age. But, but you should expect the respect of a young child. You should expect the respect of a teenager in your home. You should re- expect the respect of an adolescent, even of an adult that's living with you, that's in your house and making their own choices and got their own job and paying their own bills. You should expect their respect. In fact, you should never stop respecting as long as you live. It should be uh, an honor, a, a way, a place of honor. Why? <clears throat> because as, as I said earlier, if they don't respect you, they're not going to respect their spouse. 
They're not going to respect their boss. They're not going to respect their Lord. And so the consequences of that is them getting out in the world and thinking the world owes them something, and they're a gift to the world, and they get out here in this first job, and this, this boss isn't enamored with them as they are with themselves. And so they last about two or three weeks, and this job boss comes in and says, hey, this isn't, you're not cutting it. You know, sorry. You're going to have to go find somebody. What? I thought I was the gift to this, this establishment here. And so they're, they're devastated. Why? Because they were never really taught cause and effect. They were never really taught consequence. They were never taught respect because they're, there are consequences to a lack of respect. And so if they're taught that at a young age, they'll be prepared for that with a boss, with a spouse, with a friend, with, a, with their Lord, with a, you fill in the blank. There are, all of us are set with, a, with, a, with a, a law enforcement officer. With a, all of us are subject to authority. We live under somebody else's authority for the most part. And so the sooner we learn to respect that, the better life is going to go for us. In fact, one of the greatest things a parent can, can witness is a child getting it and understanding those very things. Uh, nothing says respect more to a parent than a child modeling the very things that the parent has sown in. And you, and you start to see this, hopefully, some in adolescence. You start to see a little more of it in, in older adolescence and even more of it in young adulthood and more of it in medium adulthood. But as, you're, as a child starts to test your value systems, to test the things that you've sown into them to be right and wrong, good and bad, as they start to test that on their own, hopefully while they're still under your roof to a certain extent, where you can kind of correct them, kind of like we talked about the guardrails last week. That's what the guardrails are for. It's when they step off the path, you're still there. And so you, you want to create some testing ground while they're still in your home so that you can there rescue them during failure uh, to a certain extent. But when they get beyond your home and beyond your influence, that's when it really gets neat. Because you start to see children putting some of the same things in practice that you've told them. In fact, they'll use some of the same terminology that you used. Now, they'll go home and look in the mirror and say, did I just say the same thing my dad said? Did I just, did I just say this? And they'll catch themselves doing that and probably won't like it, but they will have taught themselves those principles. Why? Because they tested those principles against something else in the world, in, the, in a book, in a concept, in a college class, in a, in a job, in, a, in a whatever, among friends. They've tested that against the culture, and they've seen that it either works best for them or works or should work best for everybody. And so they've nailed down those responsibilities, those principles, those values in their own heart, and they're starting to live them in such a way that you're seeing them now, and you don't even have to sew them in anymore. You're hearing them being said, and you don't even have to say anything anymore. And so one of the, one of the great tank-filling opportunities as a parent or as a grandparent is to sit back and watch adult kids finally get it and realize my parents were smarter than I thought they were. They were really stupid when I was 15. They're pretty smart when I'm 25, 35 even smarter, 45 even smarter. And so I start to get, here's why they said this. Here's why they did this. Here's why this was a, a rule at our house. Here's why we couldn't go there, couldn't wear that, couldn't. Here's why that was true. It's delivered me from that and from this and from this kind of heartache, and from this job loss, and from this marriage failure. and from, It's delivered me from so many things that I would have stepped into curiously and probably would have suffered from had I not been grounded in those things that my parents sowed into me. So honor initially looks like respect. Secondly, it looks like responsibility. Um, and responsibility on your own without prompting from your parents is, is, is um, where this is. But get this here if you don't get anything else about responsibility. And we talked about responsibility last week and discipline in, in that that's that median thing you're trying to teach in those, in those uh, preteen, uh, uh, early adolescent years is responsibility. Responsibility is never taught, though, without accountability. 
Responsibility without accountability is totally empty because you're just laying out a bunch of rules and walking away and hoping they get done. That's our job as parents and our job as grandparents and our job as leaders and our job as bosses and our job as pastors and our job as anybody who has any level of influence over anybody else to hold responsibility accountable, to say there is some follow-through here. You didn't just do it halfway. You didn't just do it as far as you want to. You didn't just, you know, read this if you'd like to read it. The teacher says you need to write a report on this. So guess what? You're going to write a report on it. And I want to see the report when it's over with, and I want to read through it. And before you turn it in, it's, so responsibility without accountability is totally empty and it's totally meaningless. So laying down a bunch of rules in your home, and you can paste them on the wall all you want to, but if there's no accountability to them, there's no good whatsoever. Take them down, burn them. Uh, a child's not going to follow them, especially when they get out of, your, out of your influence and out of your home. But if we're, they're accountable to responsibility and they see that here's why this works, they'll more likely follow that outside the home. If they're responsible to you, guess who else they're going to be responsible to? Their boss, their mate, their God. Um, it, it feeds on itself. Now, third thing is this. Not only does honor look like respect and responsibility, it looks like, and you're seeing this progress probably from, from mid-teens to, to earlier younger adults in responsibility, now to probably median adults in this third principle, and that is it looks like affirmation. It looks like affirmation. What should, what should adult children who have their own home, their own life, their own families, what sh- how should they continue to honor parents that they don't live with anymore, that, that probably has little day-to-day, at least, influence in their life? Well, this, this idea of affirmation is one that is coupled with honor. It's a part of honor because we as, as children of adult children of adult parents who are still alive should affirm our parents. And there's really some simple practical ways to do that. You communicate with them. You include them on things. You invite them to birthday parties and, you know, things that you're doing as a family. But you also advise, ask them for their advice and their counsel, even if you're not going to use it. Ask them. Get their opinion about it. It may cause you to think about something you hadn't thought about before, or it may just make them feel important in your life. You may... You may not heed their counsel at all. In fact, they may trust your counsel more than they trust their own. Um, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that with some of the current financial climate that's, that's happening, I used to go to my dad for financial advice all the time. And, I, and as I shared with you, I wish he was still here, that, that I could go to him today and say, Dad, you know, what do you see on the horizon? What's, what's... But in, in reality, if my dad were alive today, he would be coming to me for counsel about those very things. Yet, I would still probably go to him for to, to make sure that what I'm thinking, that he's thinking also, that he's affirming the same thoughts that I'm having about this very thing. And those kinds of things affirm and, and, and build up and, and build the importance of, of, of your parents. That's, what's, um, that's what honor looks like. And, and in doing that, not only are you honoring them, but you're honoring your Lord in doing them because he's, he's, uh, he's told you here, that it's especially in, in Ephesians 6.2, that this is the first commandment with a promise. The first four commandments in Exodus 20 deal with our relationship to God. Starting with the fifth commandment, children, honor your parents and the Lord for this is right. You'll live long on the earth for doing so. In essence, it's the first commandment with a promise. The first commandment about family relationships at all, about relationships, period, apart from God, are children to their parents, honor to their parents. And so I think this is important to him. And so it being important to him, it ought to be important to us. We should learn to honor and affirm our parents because of that. Fourthly, though, and this gets even into older adult children who have parents still living, 
Honor looks like provision. And it may come to a point with you where it looks like provision. It may already be at a point for some of you where it looks like provision. Um, turn back to Proverbs, the 23rd chapter of Proverbs. And um, let's look at verse 22. It says, Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise, despise your mother when she is old. The context here is honor is a lifelong thing. And honor oftentimes will look like provision. Why? Because our parents get old. <laughs> just, as, just as we needed them as a toddler, as a person who couldn't feed ourselves, change ourselves, or, or take care of ourselves, or meet our own needs, they will in turn need us probably in those same fashions. Hopefully not. Hopefully God's gracious to them and, and they go in their sleep to- totally healthy at the age of 110. But oftentimes it doesn't occur that way, does it? It occurs where parents are, their health is deteriorating. Sometimes it may be, there may be mental deterioration as well on, on top of physical. And honor then becomes looking more like provision than anything else. And we start providing for, we start caring for, we start making decisions for. Uh, our parents who were not able to do that with themselves. The promise here that he, he says in this verse uh, is, is long life. And here's one thing you can take to the bank, and, and, and I kind of look at these. I guess I'm, I don't know, crazy. But I'll look at sometimes on, in, in a Sunday paper, people have been married 50 years, and, or somebody that's celebrating a 100-year-old birthday or whatever. And as I look at those birthdays, I, I seldom think of this, but I should. That's a person who honored their parents. I mean, if that person is 110 years old, the biblical promise ought to ring true in their life that there's a person who honored their parents. That'll be one thing, one thing we take away. If you have elderly people who are, who are healthy into their elderly, elderly years, one thing you can back on is that person honored their parents. Why? Because God's word promised that to believer or unbeliever in the Old Testament commandments. He promised that. So this idea of honoring them and providing for them and, and, and nurturing and caring for and it looking more like provision than anything else is something that God expects us to do. He expects honor to be a lifelong thing. Now, here's the real lesson in that. The way you honor your parents is the way your children will honor you. So whatever you're doing, the care, the provision, the lack of, expect the same thing out of your kids because they never stop learning, whether they're 5 or 75. They'll, They'll model the very things they see in you. So the care for, the way you honor, the way you care for and come around and provide for and affirm and need and value your parents as they get older will be the same way your kids treat you because they'll watch the very things you do and how you handle those situations. You think, well, they're already gone out of my house. They've stopped learning. No, they haven't. They're watching the very things that you and I do to see how that's done, to see how, what they should, what's expected of them, what they're supposed to do. Um, while this is great and this is this is... Yeah, we realize we need to be obedient. We need to expect obedience. We need to honor our parents. What's this look like in real life? Well, I want to give you a couple of admonitions before we close, and that's this. Don't just assume that um, godly parents, God has blessed them enough to where they don't need your affirmation. Don't assume that godly parents get all they need from God's blessing. Don't assume that you're being raised in a home by people who honored you, honored God, created some boundaries for you, loved you, nurtured you, trained you, uh, changed your poo-poo diapers. Don't assume that those folks get all they need to get from God. They need your affirmation as well. On the other side of that coin, don't assume that parents who failed at it, who didn't do as, who didn't do as well as they should have, 
don't need the same affirmation from you. You see, it's not conditional. There's nothing in the scripture about whether the parents did a good job or not. Nothing in the scripture about how we turned out, whether we turned out well or not. Nothing about any of that. It is basically just this blanket truth that says we're to be obedient to our parents and we're to honor them, regardless if they messed it up or they got it right. Well, it's hard sometimes. It's hard sometimes for adult kids to look back. It's hard sometimes for parents to look back and think, man, I wish I'd known this then. I would have been a better parent. I would have been, you know, I would have been this, I would have been that, I would have been the things that I'm not. I wish I would have seen this and grabbed hold of this as, as a young parent who just had kids and didn't know what I was doing and, you know, made a lot of mistakes. Parents have regrets just like children do. And children, as, as I've said earlier, and, I, and I've said this a number of times before, parents probably make mistakes. You look back to your own parents and they probably did some things right, did some things you wouldn't do yourself. And that's very natural for most kids to look back and reflect on, on their upbringing in that way. But, and I've talked about your default system and that being your default system and all. But as you look back as well on parenting that you feel like, well, this is, I, wish, I wish I would have had a better experience at this and that. I wish I'd have been better prepared for this and that and the other. Well, it's fine as a 12 or 15-year-old kid to point to. It's not really fine, but it's, it's valid. Let me put it that way. To point to a parent who's not done so good job and said, you know, I'm paying for this. It's not so fine for a 25 or 30-year-old to look at a parent and still look like you're their victim. You know why? Because you and I are accountable now to our Lord, not to our mom and dad anymore. We're out on our own. We're accountable to him. And so if they've messed up, um, forgive them. Just as if you've messed up. And they've been godly parents as they could be. And you've, you've made some mistakes that probably have dishonored them. Go apologize to them. You know what? They'll forgive you. You know why? Just as we looked at two weeks ago, a kid who feels loved extremely well will forgive extremely well. A parent who feels honored extremely well will forgive extremely well. Great balance in that and how God works in our hearts that way. So regardless of where we are and what our circumstances are in life and whether we, we look like you know, we turned out okay or we didn't, we made some mistakes, learn to forgive and move on. Learn to ask for forgiveness and move on. That's part of what honor is about. Let me close with these couple of thoughts and realities more than anything, affirmations of realities more than anything else, but to encourage us to think in these terms. How you relate to your parents, young or old, will impact the area of your life, every area of your life. How you relate to your parents, young or old, will impact every area of your life. Why? Because the enemy is about guilt. That's how he works with us. He's about pointing fingers of guilt, saying, here's what you should have done. Here's what you should have been. Here's what you need to do. Here's what... And he, is, he is all about guilt with us. That's why it's important for us to keep a clean slate with our parents, with really all the family for that matter. To where we're not, there's, there's no room for guilt. There's no room for, for things unconfessed and things that need to be asked for, to be forgiven for. And he doesn't have that area in our life. It's the most influential relationship you'll ever have on earth. You know why? Because your value system has been shaped, right or wrong. Your value system has been shaped early on. As you were looking to... To, to be obe- to sow in obedience, to sow in responsibility, to sow in wise choices. Your value system was shaped, right or wrong, by what your parents said or did and shared with you and taught you. That's why it's influenced you, either right or wrong, to head in that same direction or head in a different direction. And it's influenced you probably strongly to head in the same direction or head in a different direction, not just passively. Most folks make those kind of choices and they nail things. I'm not going <laughs> to, this is not going to happen in my home. Or I'm going to do this, it worked, and you know, 
by golly, it worked in my life, and, and it's, it's already working in the life of my kid. I'm going to keep going with this. And most of those decisions are made rather succinctly. Thirdly, is because it's the most influential relationship we have, we ought to let it influence others. We ought to let our relationships with our parents and how we treat them influence others. Why? Because the way we love our Lord is the way we love our parents. And the way we love our parents and honor them is a reflection of our love for our Lord and our honor for Him. And so whether we're kids or adults or, or you know, some vast place in between, Obedience and honor is something God expects of us as his children. He also expects it of us to his children, our moms and dads, those who have gone ahead of us to do for us, to love us, to prepare us for life. Um, and I hope that some of these things will, will kind of find a lodging place uh, and, and there will be dinner time discussion. Sometimes at some, some of your tables at home where, uh, you know, we've re- we probably just assumed this as a family. Should we talk about this, this, and this? Um, we probably assumed, I probably assumed <laughs> that you're going to take care of me when I get old. Are you really going to do that? Can I count on you? Um, or are you going to, you off in Zimbabwe somewhere, and I'm going to have to find somebody else to have those kind of conversations. You know why? Because it, it, it keeps the conversation up front about honor. It keeps the conversation up front about respect, about affirmation, about all those kinds of things. And it doesn't, it's not that I do that as a parent. But God expects that of me as a child. And we need to, to dialogue with that about our families. I hope this, um, this family matter study has given you some, some teeth um, to either see ways that you can improve as a parent, as a grandparent, um, as, as a person who influences parents or grandparents. I hope it's given you some teeth and some meat to where you can stick, your, uh, stick, stick a fork in the ground and say, boy, this is... I can bank on this 10 times out of 10. I'm going to tell you, anything you find in his word about familial relationships, bank on them. You think, man, they're not practical. They don't work in our day and time. Absolutely, they do. In fact, everything else is not working. Look around you. Look and see. One of the reasons that, as I said earlier, that the, the, the emptiness divorce rate is skyrocketing is for the very reason that we've not put parenting in place. We've, we have caused our life to revolve around our children instead of theirs around ours. And so, consequently, they don't respect us the way they should. They don't obey the way they should. They don't, they're not taught the things that they need to, to make it in life very well. And we end up, after they're gone, wondering what in the world we're going to do now because our life has been so consumed with them. Um, you may know people in that, you know, Leanne and I are heading in that direction real soon. We're going to have emptiness, and, man, we're looking forward to it. Um, but, I mean, it's... it's it will have mixed mixed blessing and, and emotion about it, I'm sure. But but we're looking forward to that. Um, and I hope as you reach that, you are too. Coming up as we approach Christmas here, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about three, I think, of the most poignant and out there uh, characteristics of Jesus. One, next week, we'll look at him as healer. We're going to talk about healing next week and his role as healer to us. The following week, we're going to talk about forgiveness. And his role as forgiver and what he expects of us as that. And then on the 23rd in our candlelight service, we'll talk about him as lover and what love looks like from his perspective and uh, for each other. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.